Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Central Texas Life. Ann Harder here with you, and we have a unique opportunity to get a behind-the-scenes look at the television industry with a Hollywood casting director. It is a joy to welcome John Frank Levy to the podcast today. It is, it's wonderful to have you here from Burbank, California. I appreciate, I appreciate the invitation. It's, uh, I've never been to Waco, but my dear friend J.D. Hinton has told me lots about it. Well, that's good. He is a dear friend of mine as well, and uh, was so delighted that he was able to uh, put us together so we could visit today about your new book. It's called Right for the Role, Breakdowns, Breakups, and Breakthroughs from 35 Years of Casting Iconic TV Shows, and and that would include ER, China Beach, The West Wing. I mean, the list goes on and on of the, the they are truly iconic shows. But I get the impression, John, that you didn't start out as a child thinking, I want to grow up and be a casting director. No, Anne, I certainly didn't. In fact, uh, when I was about 30, I got a directing fellowship at the Mark Taper Forum here in Los Angeles, uh, in, in the most important equity theater in, in the Southern California area. And uh, it was the first time in my life I'd ever found a casting director and found out what they did and how they worked uh, so it certainly was not a childhood dream although uh, I had been exposed through my mom to a lot of the theater in New York City where I grew up and uh, so uh, the the storytelling arts were always uh, of great interest to me uh, and then uh, I was able to find the role I was right for and your dad's a journalist as well. He, uh, he that's correct. Yes. Right. So, and so my older my older brother is also a, a a journalist. He wrote for the Washington Post for many years. But the, you kind of caught the acting bug, right? So I I, I did. Yeah. Um, of course, as as the book details, it, it was slightly fueled by my interest in a, a particular girl. <laughs> And then another particular girl, and then uh, and that that seemed to be a theme. I was chasing acting while chasing girls. <laughs> well, you're you're delightfully transparent in uh, in your telling of your life, and it's 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 very beautifully organized from you know a certain decades uh, of your life, um, but it. You tell the story, and we are taping this during the week. We've observed Martin Luther King, Junior Day. <laughs> tell them about your brush with greatness when you were a teenager and actually attended the March on Washington. Yes, well, that, that um, Dr. King uh, and I shared a dream. 
uh, I was on a bus all night with uh, members of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee singing We Shall Overcome over and over again. And I, 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 I would like to confess that Sing Johnny One Note was written for me. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a, uh, my speaking voice isn't bad, but I uh, can't sing a lick. Um, uh, well, and we got to, to Washington quite early in the morning and uh, the bus we were on parked near the memorial where Dr. King's stage was set up. And our group got just down off the corner the, the stage right corner of the of, of the platform and uh, we sat there and Dr. King was introduced and I fell asleep. Oh no. <laughs> Just missed it by that much <laughs> as they by said. That much. <laughs> I was I was having my dream while he was having his way more important dream. <laughs> But you were there. I mean, you you could truly say you were there. Um, well, I I love reading the you know the very first thing in your book, right for the role, um, is written by your your friend and colleague John Wells, and he calls you a great casting director. Any any comments about that? I mean, I know your your affection for him is great as well. Absolutely. Um... You know, Anne, I, I can't read that forward without crying. Mm-hmm. I, I, <laughs> uh, I bet. It, it, it just is so... Uh, when I asked John, after all these years of collaborating um, with him, to, to write the foreword for my book, I had... Um, I thought he might, that he would say kind things about my work, but I, uh, I was overwhelmed by by what he wrote and 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 that goes actually for the last chapter in the book as well which i think we called it other people's memories and uh it's a little bit like being at my funeral while still being alive while uh, all of these actors writers and directors that i've had the honor and privilege to collaborate with over all these years uh wrote their impressions of working with me and of being in a community with me um, and they were similarly uh, 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 amazing and, and uh, well over my expectations. Oh, absolutely. Um, names that, that everyone would know, things that, that folks have uh, said about you. And because of your work and what you do in, in looking at an actor and and determining is, you know, is this going to be one of the five or ten different headshots I pass along to possibly be selected for this role? Um, I mean, it's it's life changing if they if they get yeah, that part. And yeah, I, I think the very first person who uh, who responded to my request is the wonderful Shinola Hampton, who mm-hmm. played V on Shameless for eleven seasons, and who. Uh, whose audition was so uh, forward that I was grateful that I had my colleague, Melanie Burgess, in the room with me because uh, I, 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 otherwise I would have been too embarrassed to have any idea what to do next. But she wrote uh, something like, when I think of John Levy, I think of life-changing. It's kind of remarkable to look back and realize that I've had impact on people's lives 
and all, and that goes for the audience as well. You know, a show like ER had real tangible impact uh, uh, on a generation of people who went into healthcare professions, and and also just in terms of disseminating good information. Right. I, about, you... about, about important things. You, you mentioned that Amy Poehler said, oh, she was interviewed somewhere and said she had, during the pandemic, she downloaded and watched all of it again, the whole, the whole series yeah. again, you know, and, and so that's where, you know, being a part of something iconic, and we can use that word over and over and over, but, but I mean, really, they're classics now, uh, these shows, and launched the careers of people like George Clooney, I, I mean, you can just go down down the list, it's got to be so gratifying to you professionally to to know that you've had that impact. You know, and that's why we included the lists of all I of the performers. I love that. Yeah, I love uh, that. In, in ER and also in West Wing, oh, uh, Aaron would be mad at me. It's the West Wing. The West Wing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, uh, I had forgotten all of the people who had one scene in ER early on in their career. And when you look at that list, it's um, it's astonishing. And the great thing about casting and the great thing about working with John Wells is that it's all about collaboration and it's all about community. And, uh, you know, I, I never say I discovered or I started. We started people. We decided together that someone should get the job and that, and we are very grateful when they go on to do extremely well and make us look smarter than we are. Well, I love the story about Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, he could have, he could have, you could have been kind of hard nosed, at least the, the production company when he was ready to get out of his, his contract from that beginning role that he had. And, and you said, no, that wouldn't have been the right thing to do to hold him back. I, I feel that way. Yeah. Um, let's put to rest, you know, right off the bat, if we can, almost off the bat, the casting couch. You say it should be called something else, not, not the casting yeah, couch. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's part of the casting process, unfortunately. Yeah. But it is almost never the casting director <laughs> who is uh, involved in inappropriate behavior. Uh, uh, I do tell a funny story about inter- interviewing uh, men in drag at one point, and a, a, a person came in uh, with uh, white fur cuffs on her uh, 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 on her red outfit, and uh, and afterwards she, she was a big gal, and uh, she called herself Big Mama, and she she said, "If you're good to Big Mama, Big Mama will be good to you." And I, I politely said, no, thank you. <laughs> and Big Mama did not get the part, as I recall. I don't believe she did. <laughs> I don't believe she did. Well, you know, I, I found it fascinating to um, to read about the, the beginning, your beginnings in this uh, business. Again, one that sort of found you. Um, but that women really played key roles as mentoring you in this process. Yeah, they sure did. You know, casting... Uh, uh, originally was very much a female uh, entry point for uh, in the industry. And it was rare that there were men 
doing that job. Men hired, often hired their assistants who were frequently women to, to uh, check availabilities of actors. And that was the sort of uh, beginning of casting. But, um, I, and I think actually in some ways my being a, a male played a role in my being uh, unique as a casting director. Uh, but but yeah, my mom trained me uh, how to deal with strong, complex, and maybe some people would say difficult women. Well, and also your acting career, your acting, not career, but your training early on, because you would read in the roles during the audition process. I mean, I, I guess that never really occurred to me that, you know, you and your colleagues are the ones that are getting the getting the scene started it's not just necessarily monologues that that an actor would oh, perform no, for you we, we we do all of the reading and yeah in, in the early part of my career i read everything opposite every actor eventually uh, uh some of my associates were so good uh that i i turned over i mean at a certain point i did the men and, and one of my female colleagues did the women's roles and then eventually uh, in the most recent iteration of my staff, uh, Tony Tamietti, my incredibly able associate, reads with everybody. And she was a child actress uh, and now a, a, a casting director. Um, my other wonderful associate, Kim Wong, um, does all of the camera work and uh, in, in the new era where we record everything. Yeah, I think you you said I, maybe it was Ellen Barkin you were you were working with and you you were a little intimidated and she complimented I think it was Ellen Barkin that complimented your your acting. Yeah, because I also read uh, at the table reading mm. before we start shooting. We we all gather together and read the script out loud so that the writers can hear it and make some additional rewrites and so the actors can. Uh, understand the dynamics of the scenes that they're going to have to shoot that week. And, and Ellen was very generous with me. I, I tended to read mostly the authoritative male parts. <laughs> Good. <laughs> what a, whatever works. And, and speaking of that, you, as your career was getting off the ground, we did not have all this fancy technology. And you even got in trouble, I think, one time for using email. <laughs> it was it was such a, a a new thing. But you were ripping open envelopes with with headshots and all the, it, and it was laid out i would i'd picture you know all over the floor and you're sorting through all the it's it's got to be a totally different critter these days yes it sure is and 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 much of it is is a, a great benefit i mean we can now do things uh, we can do see more people and and uh, and go through our process with much more efficiency but as usual with technology, uh, something gained and something lost. We don't have, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't have as much human contact uh, as we did in the pre-pandemic days. And, and the movement towards self-tapes and technology was already started, but it, uh, it became the norm during the pandemic. Um, which sadly isn't quite over. And, and I also, I'm not sure that it'll ever go back to as much in-person 
uh, as it once was. But but I would think if you're casting, you know, really key roles, you'd have to have some, you know, be able to see that individual. And I don't know. It just well, it, so much so much is possible on Zoom. Yeah, now. I well, that's true. I, you do you do tell a story about um, how you had to make those adjustments when you were doing a Zoom callback, and you know, folks just had to they had to figure it out. You know, a lot of this is has uh, has been that. Uh, I learned so much reading your book, Right for the Role. Um, let's talk about a little bit of the the um, vernacular. You use trampoline. What now? What is what does trampoline mean? Welcome to One Star Rewind, a new podcast about those dreaded one-star reviews that every business owner hates to receive, but yet every customer loves to read. During this podcast, we will peel back that one-star review to better understand how it happened, when it happened, and what the business owner is doing after receiving that one-star review. This podcast will be about love, hate, and laughter. On One Star Rewind, we will meet with real business owners will tell their stories and how they do rely on reviews for their business. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or download us at roguemedianetwork.com. Please subscribe, but only rate and review for not a one-star review. Join us each time for a new review and a new story. fantastic new podcast to tell you about bros foes and heroes it's the two of us looking into the world of comics breaking down some characters that you may have never heard of and some that are just absolutely ridiculous yeah so zach comes up with a character each time and uh, i go into it just completely blind i don't know who this person is or what their abilities are or anything and and basically i guess we kind of go over their origin story and just some of the ridiculous stuff that maybe, especially Golden Age stuff. Oh, Golden yeah. Age stuff is always the best. And we will make sure to highlight all of the shenanigans and just absolute weirdness yeah. of everything. Yeah, that's right. So subscribe today and uh, follow us on Instagram at Bros Bros Heroes. And if you don't, I know where you live. Not really, but please subscribe. <laughs> Bros and Bros and Heroes. Gonna tell you about frozen, frozen heroes. Gonna tell you about. Hi, this is Sarah. And I'm Carter. And this is Some of Our Thoughts. We're two Southern sommeliers, and we want to share everything we love and know about wine. 
We started hanging out during quarantine and cooking and drinking and listening to music. And we just thought this would be a great way to bring everything we know to you guys. We will make wine knowledge and food pairings easy and approachable. So put on your favorite vinyl, grab your favorite glass of wine, tune into our show, and let's have some fun. Wine Wine and vinyl. vinyl. So check us out on RogueMediaNetwork.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. We'll be talking about a lot. (laughs) Well, you know, I I think that's my phrase. I don't know (laughs) that it's commonly used, but for me, it's the, uh, it's the group of supporting players that are stars are able to jump on uh, <laughs> and reach higher heights, uh, which is what a trampoline does. Right. Uh, you know, on, on ER, as much as uh, George and Anthony and Eric and Noah and Sherry and then on and on and on with the people we added were the stars, those people that we saw almost every week who were nurses and EMTs and man the front desk and were orderlies. Uh, they were an important part of the fabric that uh, that supported the leads uh, and gave them the opportunity to reach higher heights. Yeah, and the guy bleeding on the gurney over there. and You, you just don't think about it. all of those folks have to be cast. You have to physically yeah. look at a headshot and go through the process. Any, anybody who moans or groans or cries or screams <laughs> or talks. Of course, ER was, it was such a huge hit. And, of course, that was when a lot of hospital shows, when we still have a lot of hospital shows, but I think Chicago Hope was trying to, to come online, I mean, head-to-head with ER. And, and ER seemed to, seemed, seemed to hold its own, let's put it that way, and, and to the extent that because of its massive success, uh, you got a little profit sharing in that. Tell everybody that story. It was You say it's not something that's generally done. It's not something that's ever done. <laughs> I think most people, when they have a dollar, they put it in their own pocket. They don't put it in someone else's pocket. Uh, but uh, Michael Crichton, the late, wonderful Michael Crichton, and, and Steven Spielberg and John Wells were the three at the tippy top of, of the ER hierarchy community. And um, I guess the three of them didn't um, need every dollar. They were getting plenty, I guess. And so one day, uh, John Wells's assistant called me on the phone and said, come on over to our offices where there's an important meeting about to start. And I said, damn, Susan, I'm busy. <laughs> Do I have to come over there? <clears throat> and she said, yes, you do. And um, I, I walked over there, and uh, it, then John announced that there there was going to be some profit sharing, and uh, everybody got an envelope with their name on it. And uh, as I was walking back from the meeting to my office, I, I uh, in fact, there was a, a prop guy about 20 yards in front of me who was holding a prop baby, a synthetic infant, by the foot. <laughs> And uh, and uh, I was sort of giggling to myself at the sight of it. And then I thought, well, you know, I, I'm going to open this envelope and see, maybe it'll be $500. Uh, 
that would be fantastic. Yeah. And uh, it was a whole hell of a lot more than $500. <laughs> and I was able to buy the house across the street from my little house here in Burbank, California, where my mom spent the last years of her life. That is precious. I mean, it, and life-changing for her as well because yeah. of, of their generosity. And and let's face it, you, you, played, you played a big role in the success of that show and that you particularly when it's an ensemble i mean these folks have got to have chemistry and and you're one of the ones that's looking at these actors and going now who's gonna who's gonna be able to pull this off yeah exactly and 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 uh you know it it's a testimony to the the thing that my book is really about uh which is that it, which is the whole concept of community and collaboration and finding your place in that where you can create excellence, but where you can also create the environment for others to join the collaborative community and create excellence as well. And, and ER was uh, a spectacular example of fabulous leadership and wonderful community and collaboration. Well, in that section of the book, ER, we've kind of been focusing on that. You said I was terrified that it would mean you, you had a fear of success. You said I was terrified it would mean somehow I wasn't myself anymore. But you add your 60s values of fighting for equity and diversity and seeing yourself as both an individual and part of the whole put those fears to rest. Indeed. I, 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 f I felt that way, and I feel that way today. And another thing that that you said um, that you're the proudest, you were proudest, I think, of if I can find it. You, here we go: uh, casting people who are HIV positive, transgender, deaf, and or marginalized for any other reason has been the highlight of your career. Yes, again, um, casting provides you with an opportunity to touch worlds. Uh, that you might not normally do. I imagine your journalism career gave you that opportunity as well. Sure. Um, and and it, it is, um, it, you know, we're all on a, a self-actualizing life journey. And the more experiences we have, the more diverse those experiences are, the greater the opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, for us to grow and change and therefore contribute to whatever community we are fortunate enough to be part of. Yeah. Um, you also say <clears throat> the highlight of your career came in 2009 when you received the prestigious Casting Society of America's Hoyt Bowers Award for Career Achievement. Of course, you won four Emmys and also the Ardios Awards. And and I know you don't get into a career for, you know, what kind of accolades you can receive, but, but that that was a that's a pretty proud important moment for you as well sure anytime your peers tell you add a boy <laughs> um that's a good thing uh you know because they're the ones that know what it takes to do whatever it is we're we're doing and uh, uh you know when you when you get the respect and and admiration uh of your peers but as as you just said it certainly isn't something Nobody goes into casting to get attention. And uh, uh, and then, oddly enough, I've had my more than my share of attention. 
and and uh, I can't deny that uh, riding in a limousine on the way to the Emmys with a bottle of champagne <laughs> is uh, is actually a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> I bet it is. I bet. Well, you had some really funny anecdotes in your book too, like the time time you made a clown cry. Yes. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, uh, and and I got uh, eviscerated in an early chat room where a friend of mine was there for for making a, a crown a clown cry she was late for her audition and she was in full clown regalia and i went out and i thought kindly said to her that i was terribly sorry but that they had chosen someone for the role and that she was after all 45 minutes or so behind schedule and um maybe we'd have another opportunity to meet in the jungle of show business. And she burst into oh. tears and uh, uh, her makeup ran. Oh my goodness. Well, and you told him an actor who, who went through some pretty dramatic uh, gyrations before starting. And just some of, some of the things that um, uh, you also encountered a, a very well-known actor who chided you for rushing him during the audition process. And, and in each of these cases, the, the role went to someone else. <laughs> you, you do kind of have that, have that, that power. What would you say if, if an, if an actor is coming to you, Mr. Casting Director, what, what is, the, what is it I need to do when I go into that audition? Do you have any advice for somebody? Sure. I, I'm, I'm, if I write simple and real, on my pad of paper uh, next to your name after your audition, you've done what I want. Uh, uh, I've been uh, very fortunate to work on projects where the genre uh, was simple and real, well-written, real people. And, uh, you know, uh, ER and China Beach before it and NYPD Blue and other shows uh, uh, stayed elsewhere moved the television landscape into a more real arena. Yeah. And so I always value actors who aren't uh, acting up a storm, pushing past what they uh, believably have connected to. Uh, so I I'm a great proponent in uh, Simple and Real. Well, and you know, it's the way Frank Sinatra sang a song. Exactly. So, so, uh, you know, the challenges you have, you know, it's, it's more than one would think. Um, for example, I think as Animal Kingdom, you're, you're casting it and you had to have all these actors had to kind of look like they were related. And, you know, that's, that's got to get a little bit tricky. Yeah, that does get a little tricky. Fortunately, in Animal Kingdom, they all had different fathers. They just had. Well, that's true. <laughs> so uh, that so helped. We could, stray, we could stray from her genetics a little bit. <laughs> Um, well, let let us talk about some of the great successes uh, that you had. Just off the top of your head, some of the actors that come to mind that uh, really got huge, huge breaks thanks to uh, shows that they were on. Um, Rob Lowe, for example, I think I think of him. Well, Rob certainly had already had a very, very big career mm -hmm. um, as a, as a young man, uh, but. Uh, Sam Seaborn on the West Wing certainly reinvented him, and he has never looked back. Right. Uh, he, he, he's been doing a great deal of wonderful work for all the years since the West Wing. But, you know, early on, 
uh, on the West Wing cast. Uh, I didn't know who Allison Janney was before we saw um, my colleague Kevin Scott saw, saw a demo reel of her work that was both smart and funny, um, which was what the West Wing required. And uh, I take great pride in how spectacular her career has uh, taken off uh, and sustained. And, you know, someone like Jessica Chastain, who uh, was at Juilliard when I first saw her at the showcase that they do every year, and I introduced her immediately to John Wells, and we threw a bunch of money at her to be exclusive to John Wells Productions for one year. Uh, her first job was on ER, and, you know, now she's an Academy Award uh, it, at, at the very least nominee. I think she won one already as well. I think well. she did, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Lucy Liu, mm-hmm. Noah Wiley, uh, Sean Hattesey. Uh, they're just a, 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 a huge number of people that I've been fortunate enough to meet early on who, uh, as I said earlier, went on to do such great things that I look better than I am. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I love the fact that Rob Lowe praised you in your book for the fact you have both an eye for talent and a love for talent. I mean, you respect people. It's not just a meat market, I guess, maybe. No, not at all. You know, uh, acting is hard. People think it's easy. People who don't know think it's easy. You just get up there and, you know, say the words and don't knock over the props. And, you know, someone shoots it and edits you to make you look good. It's it's hard and it's also personal, you know. Uh, there's no other way but to take it personally. If you get the job or you don't get the job or you get fame and fortune or you don't get fame or fortune, it's just you that's there on the screen. Um, and being able to and being willing to bring your own <clears throat> vulnerability and your own sensitivity and your own pain as well as your own joy and all of the rest of it, to your work is, um, it's hard. I know that because writing the book, I had to be willing to be vulnerable and uh, tell my simple, true story. Um, and that wasn't easy. And that, that was something that happened because the woman I wrote the book with, Trudy Roth, created an environment for me to feel safe and also to recognize that if the story was going to have any impact, it had to be not just a bunch of anecdotes about famous actors. Right. Right. But that is, that is a fun part of it. I <laughs> will have to say uh, you're very clear since we're kind of sort of talking about the auditioning process about when you would offer adjustments and it made perfect sense. Um, sometimes you would, sometimes you wouldn't. Uh, Explain that. Adjustments meaning suggestions maybe or whatever. Yeah. In both cases, the actor should not strategize about what's behind my either giving an adjustment or not giving an adjustment. I think as I say, I think in the book, uh, I might give an adjustment because you're fascinating, uh, but wrong for the part. And I just want to see what your muscle is like. Um, what your range is like, what your ability to take a change in direction is like. And I might give an adjustment because 
you're absolutely right for the role, but you made a choice that was not right. And I might be able to help you make a choice that will help you reveal the character and their inner life. Um, I might not give an adjustment because what you did was very nearly perfect. And I don't want to mess it up. And I might also not give an adjustment because you're not fascinating. <laughs> okay. The whole, the whole gamut, <laughs> basically. Exactly. No, no I, I love that. It was, you know, you're very clear in, in what you write. Um, well, unfortunately our, our time has come to an end, but I like to end these visits with a similar questionnaire to the one the late, great James Lipton would use on his TV show, Inside the Actor's Studio. And it is a shameless ha-ha ripoff. But I mean, really, and, and you, I will say anecdotally, you, you mentioned having met James Lipton's ex-wife. And it was a rather uncomfortable moment. Uh, yeah, I, I'm forgetting who that is. Remind me. Uh, well, I'm trying to remember what what her name was, but but basically, she kind of it was. You were at a dinner party. It was a, you had you'd oh, gone to oh, Nina Foch, yeah, and she was yeah, she was yeah. pretty ugly to you. I thought, oh my gosh. Anyway, anyway, that all that aside, what is your favorite word? Community. Yeah, I can I can buy that for sure. What's your least favorite word? Narcissist. Very good. What turns you on creatively, emotionally, or spiritually? Collaboration. Yeah, what turns you off? Selfishness. Very good. What sound do you love the most? Quiet. I've heard that before from my guests, for sure. Uh, what what sound do you hate? You know, I'm reminded of the father in Peter Pan, who uh, when when Wendy says she wants to bring all the lost boys home with her, he says, "Think of all that noise." <laughs> <laughs> what other profession would you have liked to have tried? Um, I would have liked to have been a therapist for a while until it was too painful. Yeah. What job do you know you would not want to do at all, ever? A job where people have strict rules about your demeanor and your behavior. I would be a terrible soldier. I'd be an awful police officer. Uh, and a job that scares me is the job that my dad and my brother did, which is to be a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have way more power than casting directors. Oh. So just look any way you want. <laughs> well, finally, when you arrive at the pearly gates... What do you hope to hear said to you? Welcome home. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. John Frank Levy. And you, you later kind of added the Frank. That was your mom's maiden name, correct? That's correct. And, and it was not John, Levy, John Frank Levy. And you are a perfect delight. And I am so grateful that we could spend some time talking about right for the role. 
breakdowns, breakups, and breakthroughs. You will be delighted with this read. It it really, really is a fun look at some amazing television days and uh, an amazing career. And you're still busy. You're still working, and I love that. Yes, I am, and I hope to be working on something quite exciting in about a month, um, which I can't talk about yet. Oh, okay. Well, we will we will be anxious to hear at some point. But thank you so much for your time, John. I hope you have a great thank day. Too. Thank you, Anne. I, I, this was delightful for me as well. Oh, good. And get the book. I mean, it's a it's a great book. And thank you guys for joining us on Central Texas Life. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Central Texas Life with Ann Harder is part of the Rogue Media family. Be sure to check out our other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate this show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Life with Ann Harder.